0: If you would please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 5. Today we're mainly going to focus on verse 10. That means this is going to be part 1 of 2 as we finish the Beatitudes. There's just there's too much to say. And to be honest, I'm not ready for this series to be over, and I hope you feel the same way and so we'll have part 1 this week and we're going to focus on the idea of being persecuted for righteousness' sake and then of course next week foster will be here preaching and then the week after that we'll my tentative plan is to really zoom in and focus on those words rejoice and be glad found in verse 12 So that's the plan. And here's how I want to introduce the idea, and I hope this works. I hope this is helpful to you. Uh, Many of you, I'm sure, have heard the term stolen valor. This is not a new thing. I'm sure it's an occurrence as old as mankind. But in the age of cell phone cameras and the Internet and YouTube, this has become a viral phenomenon. You can get on YouTube right now and type in Stolen Valor and you'll find hundreds, if not thousands, of these videos. And what you'll ordinarily see is a man in a public place wearing a military uniform or some regalia or emblems or something that belongs to a certain branch or division of the US military. And for the sake of simplicity, let's just go with the Navy Seals. So there's this man in public who is dressed as a Navy Seal and maybe he's getting congratulations or pats on the back or maybe he's people are buying drinks for him or paying for his meal. And what happens is real, actual Navy SEALs see this man. They encounter him. They recognize the symbols and emblems on his clothing, the hat, the shirt, the uniform, whatever it might be. But something causes them to be skeptical. And I wouldn't know because... I'm not a SEAL, but there's something that they know and recognize. They can tell something is off. And so they begin to question him. They ask very detailed questions. Where did you serve? Who did you serve with? Who was your commanding officer? Where and when were you deployed? What did you think of so-and-so at Bud's? And inevitably, the man... Stumbles in his answers and he reveals that he's a fraud. He's not really what he's portraying himself to be. And then the real seals will yell at him and publicly shame him and might take the hat or make him remove the patch because he's not what he's claiming to be. He's a phony. He wants people to think he's a seal because he wants the respect and the perks, the admiration, maybe the drinks. But he's not a seal. He he wants the valor and the honor that does not apply to him. I bring this up because I hope... It will help us to better understand what it means to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Right now in our country, it pays to be one of the quote-unquote persecuted. In the same way that it pays to pretend to be a seal at a restaurant to get your food or drinks covered, it pays in our country to be a quote-unquote, persecuted victim. It is a social currency. And the most persecuted rise to the top. And everyone has to honor them and listen to them and respect them. And so people want to be seen as the persecuted ones. They want to be respected. They want to be valorized. They want to be honored. They identify as Blessed martyrs, and there's, it's not just one side that's guilty of this. I think it's all over. And so, in our time that I have with you this morning, I want to talk about the blessed persecution that our Lord speaks of in this final beatitude. I want you to know what it is to be persecuted for righteousness sake. So that we wouldn't be those who are guilty of stolen valor in the spiritual sense. So so that we would have a consistent, effective, and faithful witness. As we imitate our Lord and by his grace walk in step with the Holy Spirit. So. There's your opening illustration. We're focusing on persecution for righteousness' sake. But before we do that, let's ask for the Lord's blessing upon the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would speak this morning through your word. We remember that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. This book is more powerful than we could possibly imagine. Would you use it this morning that many uh, would be brought into your kingdom and that your people uh, would be comforted and strengthened and and spurred on in their pursuit of righteousness and holiness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. All right, so let's talk persecution. Our Lord made many promises to his disciples, one of them being, if we follow him, we will experience persecution. In John fifteen twenty, he stated, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What does that word persecution make you think of? I think of the early Christians in the Colosseum who were killed, or the accounts recorded in the volume Fox's Book of Martyrs, where believers are, there are stories of believers who are beheaded and mutilated and stoned and burned. We think of believers. Today, who are missionaries planting churches in dangerous places? I was in Startville a couple weeks ago, and I saw a mother of one of my dear friends, and she was giving me updates on various folks that I grew up with. And she mentioned one guy who's a missionary in, she said, Southeast Asia. She didn't want to say the exact name because of the danger he. Is in, and she held up her phone and said, These listen to you. And so I'll just say Southeast Asia. That's the persecution uh, that I think probably most commonly comes to our mind. And of course, it is persecution. But what we see in our text today is that that is not where persecution ends. Persecution is not limited to physical violence, imprisonment, and death. This might surprise you. In verse 11, we read, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Jesus is saying that there is a type of verbal persecution as well. There are two things specifically here: reviling someone and then uttering all kinds of evil against them. And praise the Lord that these are much more common, everyday forms of persecution than being burned at the stake at the town square. I want to look at these briefly. What does it mean to revile? Well, I found a there's a definition on my computer that said uh, to revile is to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. I think we've seen that before. And this way of speaking to another person. I, I really liked the word that is used here in the scriptures. It literally means to cast... In one's teeth. If you've seen someone take a drink and just throw it in someone's face. Their drink just hits them. That's, that's the image here. You are throwing your insults in one's face. In Psalm 55, David describes an enemy and says that his words were drawn swords. That's uh, the image here. Throwing angry, insulting words in in someone's face. Words that cut and do damage to our souls. And that's the picture of reviling someone. Uh, there's also mention of uttering all kinds of evil against someone falsely. Now that would be slander. Uh, lying with the motivation of trying to destroy a person. Thomas Watson remarked, saying, You may kill a man in his person and in his name. There are many of these persecutors nowadays who by a devilish chemistry can turn gold into dung and the precious names of God's saints into reproach and disgrace. Not only going after a person uh, physically, but going after their name. Jesus says this is persecution. I'm not just being a sensitive millennial. Trying to destroy someone's name and reputation and image in this side of others by speaking lies. Thomas Watson compared this to coin clipping. Anyone know what coin clipping is? I had to look this up in... 1700s, 1600s, 1700s, there was this big problem in Britain. A problem so big, if you got caught doing this, it it was considered high treason, and they would would kill you. at, At this time, coins were made of pure gold or pure silver. And over time, these softer metals would become misshapen pretty hard to bend a quarter. I've never tried, but we we don't really face this. Our our currency bills will get torn up, but our coins stay in pretty decent shape. It was not the case in Thomas Watson's day. The everyday wear and use of these coins would cause them to become misshapen and and bent. And so what people would do is they would have some type of cutting tool or file they would get the edge of the coin, and they would just clip just the edge. And they'd get this tiny piece of gold or silver, and it was tiny enough that hopefully it would go unnoticed. Hopefully the coin would just look worn or bent. And this would be done over and over and over again until you had a, little, a, a bowl full of clippings, And then these clippings would be melted down and formed into a gold bar that you could sell to a goldsmith or jeweler for a very hefty price. Now, the problem is that when you do this, you diminish the value of the coin. You diminish the weight of the coin. You undermine the nation's currency, which is why they considered this such a serious crime. That's the illustration that Thomas Watson uses for slander. Little by little, chipping away at a person's name. Maybe you aren't reviling them. You aren't throwing angry insults in their face. But you are, by your deceit and gossip and rumors, diminishing the value of their name. You are undermining their Reputation. Thomas Watson said, There have been many punished for clipping a coin. Of how much sorer punishment shall they be thought worthy who clip the names of God's people to make them weigh lighter? Not all persecution is bloody. It can come in the form of whispered lies. And we think of Potiphar's wife who slanders Joseph. She's angry this handsome young man will not lie down with her and so she lies and has him thrown into prison. Or we think of what the Pharisees said about Jesus. Jesus is healing people and casting out demons and yet the Pharisees say, oh, he has a demon. Undermining his name. Attacking his person. And he considers that persecution. We've all heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that right or wrong? I don't think it could be more wrong. I guarantee that you remember words that were spoken to you or about you, maybe you've spoken by a parent, maybe a family member, friend, classmate, and you still remember them. Maybe you can identify as the clipped coin where systematically your name was made lighter and undermined. But maybe in a moment of anger, someone got in your face. Maybe so close you could feel the warmth of their breath, and they said things that left left marks on your soul. Like David, you can say those words were drawn swords. That we need to be careful and thoughtful of how we speak to one another, and how we speak about one another. Are we clipping someone's name? We need to be on guard against such things. And we need to be very quick to repent and seek forgiveness when we fail. Now, the main point of the sermon, the blessed persecution. Our Lord speaks of a blessed persecution here, a... Honored persecution. A characteristic persecution that is descriptive of those who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Here's the point. Not all persecution is this blessed persecution. And this is the tie back to the stolen valor illustration. We may experience something in might be quick to believe, I'm experiencing oppression and maltreatment that Jesus is speaking of here in the Sermon on the Mount. And this may make us feel really good or comfortable or justified. But what if we're identifying as something that doesn't apply to us? Not all persecution is this blessed persecution. In reality... The persecution that our Lord is speaking of is very narrow and specific in the same way that being a seal is very narrow and specific. So let's get some negatives out of the way. The final beatitude does not say, you will not read these words in your Bible, blessed are those who are persecuted, period. There is a lot of persecution happening right now in this world. Today, there are camps in China where Uyghur Muslims are being kept because of their ethnicity and religion. They are being persecuted. In 2018, I don't know what the number is today, but in 2018, there are an estimated 9.2 million slaves in Africa. In our own country, there are innumerable examples of hostility directed at people because of ethnicity or religion or politics. There is so much persecution that we could point to, but being persecuted doesn't automatically qualify as the persecution our Lord is speaking of here. Not all conflict we experience is this blessed persecution. Another question to ask might be, are we bringing this upon ourselves? Are people treating us badly and slandering us and reviling us because we're a difficult person that doesn't justify what they're doing? Maybe you aren't helping yourself. Our Lord does not tell His disciples, blessed are those who have a hard time because they are difficult, objectionable, unwise people. We can bring suffering on ourselves. We can say things. We can act in a way that makes life more difficult than it need be. One commentator noted, sometimes... One may be rejected simply because they have unpleasing personalities. They are rude, insensitive, thoughtless, or piously obnoxious. They are rejected because they are discerned as proud and judgmental. Are we making it harder on ourselves? People are treating us badly because of our rudeness and our insens- insensitivity and our obnoxious piety and self righteousness. Then we don't need to attempt to comfort ourselves thinking, well, I'm just living out this final beatitude. Here's another one Our Lord doesn't say, Blessed are those who are persecuted for a cause period Lots of people have suffered for a cause The modern uh, the, the the martyr spirit isn't only limited to Christians There were men who sincerely believed in their cause and they died for it as they flew planes into the World Trade Center Jesus doesn't say blessed are you if you die for a cause even in a more positive light, he doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being good and noble and self-sacrificing. And Again, the examples are legion. I mean, it's every superhero movie that Hollywood makes, which kind of makes you think the world really doesn't have a problem with people who are good and noble and sacrifice themselves. We see this over and over again. That's not what our Lord is speaking of here. What does he say? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That is the key. And remember, this comes at the end of the Beatitudes. This is the bow on this entire section. I think I mentioned before that this last beatitude is highlighting the unbelieving world's reaction to everything that has come before. The unbelieving world can tolerate a good, noble, self-sacrificing person who dies for a cause, but the unbelieving world cannot tolerate these marks of the believer, these beatitudes. And so they revile, they slander, they sometimes even shed blood. I want to talk about why. I found an extended quote. It was a part of a package I've got for my ESV study Bible. I want to read it to you. It answers the question of why the world persecutes the Christian for righteousness' sake. You'll get a nice little review here. First, poverty of spirit runs counter to the pride of the unbelieving heart. Those whom the world admires are self-sufficient, who need nothing else, not the poor in spirit. Second, the mourning, repentant heart that sorrows over its own sin and the sins of society is not appreciated by the world. Third, the gentle, meek person, the one who has the strength not to take up a personal offense, is regarded as weak by those who do not know Christ. Fourth, hungering and thirsting, For the spiritual, for Christ, is foreign and repugnant to a world that lusts after only what it can touch and taste. Fifth, the truly merciful person who not only feels compassion and forgiveness, but who gives it, is out of step with the grudge-bearing Callousness of our age. And that person is an awkward, embarrassing rebuke to the uncaring. Sixth, the pure, single minded heart focused on God provides a convicting contrast to the impure, self focused culture. And last, The peacemaker is discomforting because he will not settle for a cheap or counterfeit peace and has an embarrassing inclination to wage peace. That is why the world persecutes the Christian for righteousness sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted as a result of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their poverty of spirit and their mourning over sin, their meekness, their hungering and uh, thirsting after righteousness, their mercy and purity of heart and peacemaking. When you suffer for such things, the Lord says, blessed are you. And don't miss this. These Beatitudes will not shield you from suffering. They will be the reason for your suffering. If you open Matthew chapter 5 and read the Beatitudes and make your list and say, I, I'm, I'm just going to work really hard and dominate this list so that my life will become easier and smoother sailing, <laughs> you could not be more confused these beatitudes are the reason for the waves they will make you different they will make you unlike the world and just as the world hated our lord the lord uh, the, the world will hate his disciples i was reminded of the chapter in john bunyan's pilgrim's progress when Christian and faithful enter the town of Vanity Fair, this just wicked, worldly town. And Bunyan wrote that these two men stood out from all the other inhabitants of the city. And it was for three reasons. He said their clothing was different, their speech was different, and they had no interest in what was being sold the way they dressed the way they carried themselves was was different it was countercultural i'm sure there's a modesty application there but there's also a confidence and assurance that they were clothed in the righteousness of christ their speech was different the things that they talked about the things they were interested in the things they were amused by were different They talked about the new birth. They talked about the the work of God in their hearts, and this made them stand out. They had no interest in what was being sold at the fair. They prayed, Lord, turn our eyes away from worthless things. And the people of the fair are badgering them, saying, What will you buy? What will you buy? they gave an answer that made everyone howl in anger. They said, we will buy the truth. Because of this, they're despised. Because of these three things, they were considered disturbers of the peace and heretics and lawbreakers of the state. And they would both be persecuted. And spoiler alert, if you haven't read it yet, it's only been out for... 400 something years. Faithful will be killed for the sake of righteousness. Do we stand out from the world? Are we different from the world? Or are we indistinguishable? Here's another note from my study Bible. By far the greatest reason there is so little persecution is that the church has become like the world. If you want to get along, the formula is simple. Approve of the world's morals and ethics, at least outwardly. Live like the world lives. Laugh at its humor. Immerse yourself in its entertainment. Smile benignly when God is mocked. Act as if all religions converge on the same road. Don't mention hell. Don't draw moral judgments. Take no stand on moral issues. And above all, do not share your faith. Follow this formula and it will be smooth sailing. The Beatitudes do the opposite. The Beatitudes make you different from the world. Obedience to the Scripture will make you different from the world. Devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ will make you different from the world. And Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, the world will hate you for it. And it will persecute you. Sinclair Ferguson made a comment in a sermon on the Beatitudes. He's he's preparing the people. He said, the world will look at you and ask, almost as if they've discovered some native just living in the Amazon who's in a tribe that has never made contact with the outside world. They'll stare at you very confused and say why do you do this and that? Why do you believe this or or that? And the believer's answer is simple. It's because God has said so. In his word, he has said that this is right. In his word, he has said that this is true. And I believe that it's true. And I believe that his word is the way to blessing. And Dr. Ferguson warned. He said, get ready. Because when you say, because God's word says so, look out. Because the very fires of hell will come out of their eyes and they will revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Christ's account. But even though their eyes might be ablaze, we can rejoice remembering our Lord's words. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can rejoice knowing that this light, momentary affliction is working for you an eternal weight of glory. You can rejoice knowing that your citizenship is not of this world, but in the kingdom of heaven. You can rejoice remembering those words that we sang as we opened worship. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Now again, this is part two. We're going to talk more about rejoicing and being glad next in two weeks. But back to that opening illustration one last time. If the persecution you experience is not the world's reaction to the beatitudes manifesting themselves in your life, it is not Christian persecution. If the persecution you are experiencing is is not because you look and talk different from the unbelieving world, it's not this blessed Christian persecution. If the persecution you're experiencing is not because of your humble submission and obedience to the word of God, then whatever it is, it's not Christian persecution. It's not persecution for righteousness sake. May God Almighty give us the grace and wisdom and understanding to be able to tell the difference between the two. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are incapable of doing this on our own. We are incapable of being faithful. We are sheep who wander and get lost and get stuck in the different mires of life. And even when we really think we're killing it and being faithful and doing what we're supposed to do, we can be overtaken with self-righteousness. Father, we need you every hour. We need you to implant faith within us. We need you to grow us in grace. We need you to work and by the power of your spirit produce these beatitudes within us. Father, we need you to show us, as it were, the prize that is awaiting all those whose lives have been hidden in Christ. Would we be overcome thinking of that eternal weight of glory being stored up? That we can say in in the moment, this affliction is light, this affliction is momentary. Father, would you make us your people salt? Would you make us light? Would you use us that men and women, boys and girls, would find flourishing and blessing in faithfully walking in step with your spirit and being obedient to your commands? Father, take all pride away take all self-righteousness away? Would we go to that unbelieving world with open hands saying, nothing in, no, no, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Father, do this in us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.